And God's people said, Amen. As you reflect upon the Psalms, as many of you are praying the Psalm in the morning and the evening, and you're saturating yourself a bit more, I might remind you of what that just called us to do and where you find that in your Psalter. It is one of those last five chapters, if you will, of this book of the Psalms. I think that's notable for us. I'll mention that in just a brief moment regarding its place. But as you're reading through the Psalms, note their place because they are highly and deliberately organized by the Spirit of God for a reason. And there's a reason why this comes at the end of our Psalter. As we now are considering the Psalms, I'd ask that you turn your attention to Psalm 103. We're going to take a time away from our series this morning and considering Psalm 103 to help us and to make us mindful. Uh, There's many ways that we can come to the scriptures in the sermon, and this way uh, is not an exhaustive exposition of Psalm 103, but to look at those ways in which it can help us uh, this morning, this afternoon, for your lives to guide us through our time of worship with God. So as we remain standing for the honor of the reading of God's word, we'll begin at verse 1 and read the psalm in its entirety. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all his host, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And gracious Father, as we come to this text today, Truly, 
May your spirit illuminate it to our hearts and fill our hearts with the knowledge of your benefits and all of those wonderful works that you have given to the children of men. And may our hearts just well up with this praise as we bless you with it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. At the end of this Thanksgiving weekend, and yet at the beginning of the Advent season, I want to take the opportunity to preach through this psalm to help us. Many of us have joined together to pray through the psalms in the morning and the evening, and I think this will also help in that time. I want us this morning to particular uh, to see how this psalm, 103, can help us. And I encourage you this month as we consider uh, December and love to, to allow this psalm to even foster the great mercy of God that he has for you to be drawn back up as you suffer long with those that you are called to love. Your neighbor, your spouse, your child, and even your enemies. God has given us a whole book with 150 chapters, if you will, uh, in order to teach us how to communicate with him. And each one of these psalms has something that instructs us in, in a unique way in this holy conversation that we have with God, our sovereign Lord. So these things are instructive. How are we to communicate with God? And God has given us the Psalter in order to instruct us how we are to talk to him. And there's something in this psalm that we should understand. And when we do, I think it's going to help us here. And it will help foster our praise. It will help join our spirit in the enjoyment of God. As the shorter catechisms as what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, those are not two separate uh, categories that are inseparably and mutually exclusive from one another. But, in fact, enjoying God and praising Him is what glorifies Him. And to glorify God, we will enjoy Him. You can't glorify God without enjoying Him. Psalm 103 is going to be instructive to help us to enjoy God, even in times when... We sometimes don't feel like it. Psalm 103 is found toward the end of book four of the Psalms. The Psalms are compiled by the Holy Spirit in the providence of his work into five books. The first book is uh, Psalm 1 through 41. The second begins at 42, goes through 72. Book 3 is 73 through 89. And book 4 is 90 through 106, and then book 5 is 107 through 115. And here, Psalm 103 is very much toward the end of book 4. 
Book four will end in Psalm 106, and I'm going to turn over there uh, briefly just to show you how the book itself concludes in this portion of the Psalter as we read verses 47 and 48. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And you should understand that that conclusion not only concludes Psalm 106, but it brings Book 4 to its conclusion. And each one of the conclusions to the book of the Psalms, Book 1, 3, 2, 3, and 4, concludes that same way. It includes in praise. Now, book five actually takes the last five psalms to bring not only book five, but the entire Psalter to a conclusion in a redounding declaration of praise and a summoning of all to praise. And that's what we just sang about. We sang one part of that conclusion in Psalm 148. And part of the point is this, about our communication with God. No matter what trials the psalmist is going through, no matter how depressed he may be, and he gets depressed, just like you get depressed, and that's why Psalm 42 and 43 are in your Psalter. No matter how distressing the circumstances become, and you will be in distressing circumstances, and that's why these psalms are there in those times, so that you can communicate with God. No matter how deserted the psalmist may feel by the Lord, or how he looks at the prosperity of the wicked, and doesn't seem like God is prospering his people, or at least his people are oppressed and persecuted, no matter what the situation, how dangerous and uncertain the situation may be, at the end of every book, the final word is praise. And that's how you communicate with God. And this psalm is like that. But the problem is, we don't always feel like praising God. I wonder how Jesus felt when he was about to go sweat blood in the garden. And right before then, he leads his disciples in a psalm of praise in his darkest hour. There's something in Psalm 103 that is the fire in it that will ignite your praise. And this morning I want to help you to know how to use this psalm in your prayer life and in praises to God and and let this psalm so stimulate your praise that even when you don't feel like it, you can praise Him and do it genuinely. Do it genuinely. And when praying the Psalms, or when you go to them to help you in times of trouble, or when you find that this great psalm book, this book of poetry, the book of songs, 
that God has given us, we tend to just gravitate to this in our spiritual life. It's helpful to know what is unique about each of those psalms. And there is something unique about these psalms. Even the ones that seemingly are exactly the same. There might be one little thing that's different. And that one little thing that's different should draw our attention to something that is unique that is there for. So what is unique about Psalm 103? How can it help me? What do I go to to Psalm 103 when I consider this? And how can it help me in my communication and my praise with God? And I want to give three points Any one of those individual points may not be something unique. Uniqueness is a one of a kind. But when you put them all together, it makes Psalm 103 unique to your Psalter. The only one of its kind of the 150. And the first thing, the point that stands out in this Psalm is the kind of praise that we bring. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And this term bless is used six times, three in the opening and three at the closing of this psalm. Now the word bless is one of about 20 different Hebrew words for the kind of praise that we bring. As you make a study through the Psalms, as you pray the Psalms, look back at some of the original and begin to look at the nuances of how we are to praise God, because it's not all the same. We, we, we can thank God. That's just one type of praise. But we can glorify God. We can magnify God. We can ascribe or give God glory. We can extol the Lord. And here, we bless the Lord. What is distinctive about this term bless? It's it's peculiar, actually, in the way that it's setting here in the Psalm 103. It's only one of about a dozen or so, maybe 13 psalms, that actually uses this particular way of praising God. And so it narrows this down into that focus But the word is most often used and is used throughout all of Scripture of someone greater blessing the lesser. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Abraham blessed Isaac. Isaac blessed Jacob and Jacob blessed his sons. In fact, even Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And here we see throughout all of Scripture, and we even talk about how God blesses us. We thank God for blessing us. The greater blesses the lesser. In Psalm Psalm 29, it says, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now, when we receive a blessing, we receive something very specific. And the word bless is used when there's something given and something received. Almost like you can hold it in your hand. Almost something like tangible. Now, all blessings are not just tangible, but it's like that. It's like something that you can hold in your hand. It's like the newborn babe. It's like the money you just received to pay off this bill that you had not expected. 
It's like all of that food that is out on your table this past Thursday. Tangible. You can look at it and see you've been blessed. A blessing is something good that you receive from God. And so when you say, well, that was a blessing, you are mindful, not just that I was encouraged by that, you are mindful that you have received a benefit that God has given you, and it was something that blessed you, benefited you in some way. But if this word bless is used of the greater, blessing the lesser and some tangible benefit, then how do we bless God? How can anything benefit God? Well, this is a way that God has given us to help us understand the uniqueness of this kind of praise. He's put it in the semantic field and in the context, broadly speaking, so that we're going to appreciate something about this word. When God specifically blesses you with something tangible, endows you with some benefit and something good, if we think about it properly, our attention then goes from the gift to the giver. And you know what? We have a natural inclination. When you have just been lavished with a blessing, we have a natural inclination to want to give something back. And what do we give back to God? And the answer is praise. When we bless God, it is a praise for something that he has gifted us. It's specific. Now, why does this so much matter with God? Why does does that matter to him? Well, the answer is because it glorifies him. This is the way that we enjoy God, and God wants us as people to know how to enjoy him. And when God has blessed us, You look beyond the gift right to the giver of the blessing and you want to give something back to him. So you know what God says? I know that's your inclination. So what you'll do is you'll give me back praise. And we'll call that blessing. It is as if you are benefiting me or giving me something that I account as a great good that I desire for the very reason that I've created you. Do you see that? God wants to be praised. God wants to, not that you are adding some kind of tangible benefit to to God. You can't do that. But it is something of which you can sense that you are pleasing God as you come and bring him an offering of praise. If you think and come to God and you think that your offering of praise doesn't mean anything to him, then your tendency is not to give it, and then you are not going to be satisfied. And God says, no, 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 no. 
I am working. I'm, I'm the way I designed you in such a way that you are going to want to give me back something. But you know that you can't add to my immensity and eternality. But what you can do is you can benefit me in this way, in the sense that you please me and glorify me with your mouth. In direct correlation with what I have blessed you with. And so this, this word is loaded in that kind of sense. It is a blessing praise. It comes right out of the experience of the one praising. It is something we give to God in something that he has given to us. And so one contributing factor that makes this Psalm 103 unique in the Psalter is the kind of praise that narrows this psalm down. A second contributing factor that makes this psalm unique in the Psalter is that the, the psalmist is actually summoning a special, this special praise, and he does it more than any other psalm in your Psalter. He is summoning this praise. Now, there are other psalms that use this kind of praise to bless, but this one stands out because it is only one of two psalms in the entire Psalter that actually summons the praise. It calls one to praise in this way. And those two psalms are Psalm 103 and Psalm 104. And those actually are twin psalms. They go together, like a Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. They're twins. But this Psalm 140, 103 does it more than any other psalm. In other words, it does it more than 104, and it is distinguished from the other psalms because it is summoning us and summoning to bless in this way. Now, Psalm 34, by way of contrast, it also uses this term to bless, to praise in this blessing way. But the Psalm 134, Psalm 34, not 134, Psalm 34 starts off this way. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now there, the psalmist is making an assertive commitment and a, 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 a decision to bless the Lord. He's making a determination. This is something he has decided to do. Even if he doesn't feel like it, it is an act of volition that he will do this. That's also very instructive in your communication to God because when you're not feeling like something, you can assert that you will do this. But Psalm 103 doesn't do it this way. It's not a determination to praise God, but it rather is a summoning of praise to God. And it does it more than any other psalm. Now let's look at the summons very quickly. And we'll go back and look at this in a little bit more detail. But the very first thing that the psalmist summons to bless the Lord is his own soul. This is his private praise. Verses 1 through 5. This is the, uh, all goes together in a unit. And he begins in verses 1. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not 
any of his benefits. And he goes on, and all of the pronouns that are used there in verses 3, 4, and 5 are singular pronouns that are referring back to his soul. Now, why is he doing this? Well, we don't always feel like praising God. When we're spiritually depressed or downcast or discouraged with life, or we don't feel like praising God, this psalm can help us summon up the praise. And it begins with summoning your own soul by talking to yourself first. See, this, this psalm actually is not directed toward God. There's a way to pray through this psalm, but the way you pray through Psalm 103 is just not repeating these words back to God because this psalm is not directed toward him. The psalm is directed toward you first. And then next we see that there's an extension of that and it's directed toward God's people. And that's in verses 16 through 18. The psalmist then expands the summoning of his own private life as he looks to those things that uh, he's telling his soul to remember. And now he's now summoning all of God's people in verses 6 through 18. That's another unit. And he's summoning all of God's people to bless the Lord in this way. Now, the word bless is not used in 6 through 18, but it's implied by what it is going before and how it ends. And so the idea is all God's people are to bless. And he changes. He makes a specific change in terms of the approach, the pronouns, and who he's talking to. So we know we've gotten out of the private, and now we are into the corporate praise that we are being summoned to. And then the third unit begins in verse 19 and concludes the psalm. And the psalmist then expands the call beyond God's people to include all of God's creatures in all of his dominion under all of his sovereignty. And he summons them to bless the Lord. Blessing is a specific recall of a praise for something God has specifically benefited. And God has specifically benefited all of his creatures and all of his creations. That's why in Psalm 148, what were we beckoning? Come on, sun and moon and stars, even the inanimate objects, that even the stones will cry out to God in praise. We are to bring all of this forward and summon the praise to its creator. Now those are two points. But there's a third point then that makes this psalm unique in the Psalter. And that is the subject of the content that ignites the praise. Now, the first point is there is a special kind of praise, right, that makes this unique, and not in and of itself, but coupled with all the, all the other points it does. The special kind of praise is to bless. The second point is that this is a summoning to bless, and not just a declaration or a, a determination to do this, but a summoning of this, and it does it more than any other psalm. In the Psalter. And the third point is the very content. And when you take all three of those, it makes this psalm unique in the Psalter, and that's the place that it's going to help us ignite our praise. 
So what is it that ignites the psalmist praise in this way? What is he calling his soul to praise God for? And this is important because when we don't much feel like praising, here is a psalm that will help. So no matter what your situation, you can use this psalm to ignite your praise. Because in the final word, in the final word of your communication with God, no matter what your situation, circumstance, or how dire the straits may be, it is always praise. So the first thing that the psalmist does And summoning his own soul to bless the Lord as he calls his soul to remember. Remember. In verse 2 it says, And bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. This is the forgetting not. This active remembrance. And one of the things that ignites your feelings is memory. Memory. Be good, that could be bad. It works both ways, but that is one thing that will ignite your emotions so that you will feel something is when you go back to your memory and you actively remember. That's why Scripture often prescribes for us this active remembrance. Remember the Lord's Day, remember the Sabbath. Remember the body of Christ. This do in remembrance of me. Remember my covenant. Remember when you see the rainbow. Remember, remember, remember. Do not forget. Do not forget. Active remembrance. Now this call of praise, which is summoning our own souls is to remember God's benefits. And the very specific kinds of benefits are all throughout the whole psalm in light of God's mercies. There's actually three different words for the kind of mercies used nine different times in this particular psalm. Mercy is all over this psalm. It is in it, it is through it, it is just the light which illuminates this psalm, God's mercies. Remember these mercies. Remember this kind of mercy. Remember that kind of mercy. Remember the pitiful pitiful mercy. Remember the compassion. Remember, remember, remember. And first of all, the very thing he's telling his own soul, remember soul. Now, you individual soul, remember, verse 3, he forgiveth all thine iniquities. Remember soul, he healeth all. All of your diseases. Remember, soul, verse 4, he redeemeth thy life from destruction. And remember, soul, he crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. He crowneth thee. So marked and evident is this crowning that others will notice. And this is the evidence of God's fierce and zealous love for you. You remember that. Fierce and zealous love for you. Verse 5. Remember, soul, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Remember that at the table this afternoon. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Soul, remember, remember. 
But then he expands and he's going to then take it out of the private sector into the corporate aspect of God's people. And now his soul is remembering this. And now he begins to to well up and to then say, yes, people. The psalmist expands the blessing to summon all of God's redeemed people to bless him in this way. Again, through this active remembrance of specific mercies. That's why this language changes from private, singular pronoun now to something different. It incorporates God's people, reminds them of Moses. And he calls them to bless the Lord in the same way he is summoning his own soul to bless the Lord for the very specific, gracious, and merciful benefits. Specifically. Specific benefits. Now see, that's the way you specifically Bless the Lord according to the specific benefits that he has given you. You're going to have to recall them specifically. And that's what he does here. Now notice what he does in verses 9 through 7. No, verses 7 through 9. (laughs) That's my backwards thinking there. He made known his way to Moses, his acts upon the children of Israel. Now look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And where does he get that? He's quoting. You know where he's quoting? He's quoting from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Do you know what the context of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 is? When God puts him in the cleft of the rock and he passes by before him and he says, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in mercy, who forgives sin. Do you remember that? Let's remember it a little more specifically. Moses was up on the mountain with talking with God and getting the Ten Commandments. And his people began to go into heinous idolatry. And they began to build and make a golden calf. And they put the golden calf up and they began worshiping to this golden calf. And God tells Moses in this, this very pastoral, priestly, intermediatorial kind of conversation, Moses Get down for your people. And Moses turns around to God and says, well, your people. And they have this kind of your people conversation going on there. And God tells Moses, I'm going to destroy this people. They have played the harlot. They are an idolatrous and I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses intercedes. But God, this is your people and What good is it to wipe them out? You have redeemed them from from Egypt. And he begins to mediate and to plead with God. And God listens. And God heeds. And God preserves his people as Moses pleads and intercedes. As a typical figure of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only mediator who can and does do this and keeps God from wiping us out. His people were just playing the harlot in the most heinous kind of sin. 
And when Moses goes down and he finds the people there, they're not just worshiping a golden calf because idolatry always leads to immorality. And I believe that in other passages of Scripture you can find really the immoral situation that Moses stumbles across and comes to just makes him lividly mad and angry after he had pleaded with God. And yet, God forgives him. But then God says, but I'm not going to go in you promised land. And Moses pleads again. Well, what good is it to go into the land if you are not going with us? Really, you are the essence of all that is promised and all of the glory of that land. Lord, we will not go if you do not go. And he, he pleads again. Okay. Okay. Well, Moses is on a roll. And it's in this context that Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Two for two. <laughs> God says, no man can see that glory. But, but I'll proclaim it to you. Now, it's in this context, in this whole context of all this golden calf stuff still going on with, with all of the heinous idolatry, and it's in this context that God puts Moses in a rock and he walks behind him and he says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, gracious and merciful. He will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy, and compassion upon whom he will have mercy, and he will forgive the iniquity. This is Psalm 103. This is what the psalmist is bringing back very specifically when he begins to delineate the very mercies of God in a time when they did not deserve it. And he says... He hath not dealt with us after our sins. He hath not rewarded us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed those heinous and wretched and wicked and idolatrous and immoral sins from us. He has removed them. There was a huge benefit huge benefit and the reason the psalmist can summon all of God's people in any situation that they are in to give him praise and to bless his holy name with everything everything that is in you now the third section is a little unique it shifts to the expanding even beyond this to verses 19 through 22. But before it breaks into the application, it has to make a statement in verse 19. And it says, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. That will govern the rest of the psalm. Because in verse 22, he's going to call all of his works in all places that are under that dominion to bless him in this way, to praise him in this kind of praise. So he's going to assert the sovereignty. He's going to declare who God is, the God of heaven and earth. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. But he is sovereign. He is Lord. And as he makes this statement of sovereignty over all, he then summons everything under that sovereignty to come and bless the Lord for the very benefits that he has given to them. 
Now, he's actually extended that now from out of the private soul into the corporate redeemed people, then out beyond that to all under his dominion. Now, how does those under his dominion that have not tasted his redemption give him praise for the very specific benefits that God has given to them. And you have to see this into it. In there is an eschatological aspect to this song. Very appropriate for Advent as we think about the coming of Christ and the consummation at the very, at the very time when we're thinking about his coming and his incarnation and as we interpret everything in light of his resurrection. And now we have this eschatological nature of this psalm. When God does bring everything to bow their knee and to praise him, not just from a praise of scorn, but from a praise of genuinely feeling this praise and giving God blessing for the benefits and the blessing he's given them. There's an eschatological consummation and a fulfillment that the psalmist now, from this place in history, is calling all of his creatures. And so he begins, now you his angels, verse 20. And ye, all of his servants and all of his ministers that do his will, verse 21. In verse 22, now everything in all of God's sovereignty and under all of God's dominion in all places, whether invisible or visible or the things way out in ter- out of space or down here on the terrestrial, whatever, wherever it is under God's sovereignty, bless the Lord. And then he brings it back around full circle. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O oh my soul. I'm seeing what he's done in the past. I'm hoping with certainty in the faith of what he has told me he's going to do in the future. He is bringing everything into this light so that the very circumstance I happen to just be finding myself in in this very small little sphere can then be broadened out to see in a bigger way what the benefits are that God not only has done in the past, what he's doing right this very moment, but what he's promised to do in the future. All of that, the final word is praise. Praise. Now I want to conclude with an application here. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's part of the concluding part of this message, so hang in there for this application. There's a law of life, so to speak, okay? A law of life that I think this psalm is designed to help us with. God has called us to give him glory about what we say about him. In fact, the Psalms, because it is our instruction and our formative liturgy to instruct us, not only in our minds, but with our speech and in our hearts, how to communicate to a holy God, our creator. That's what it's here for. How do we speak to God? And so these psalms seem to indicate that what we say is even more important than what we do in order to bring him glory. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he wants this speech to come not with a a veneer of, of inauthentic falsity. 
But the speech, he wants you to come with a heart that is full so that when it comes out, it is not faked, it is not feigned, it is genuine praise. And the Psalms are given to help us properly do this from the heart outward. And that begins with talking to yourself and summoning your own soul. And there is an alteration that has to take place that enables us to do this genuinely to God. What if we do not glorify God in our speech? What if we do not praise Him like we should? What if we fail to hear the summons right here and we close our ear to what we then summon our own soul to do? Soul, rise up and bless the Lord. And bless the Lord, all that is within me. No, I don't feel like it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and have my little pity party. I'm going to stay in my own little. What is the consequences? This is the law of life. What is the consequences if you shut your ear to your summoning of your soul to do this? And there is a consequence. And that is a spiritual depression. A spiritual depression. Having a spirit that lacks gladness and joy. A spirit that is unsatisfied. It's downcast. Now, there are times when your spirit gets this way. Yes, that's why Psalm 42 and 43 are there. And it's why Psalm 43 summons us. But if we then turn our ear away from that summoning and we dismiss it that will lead to spiritual depression now we often get down in our lives or become discouraged or depressed because we tend to Figuratively, look down at our hands and see what's not there. What we don't have. Or perhaps we look across the way and we see, oh, what they, they have is, that's really what I was wanting. Or I don't have what they have. And we tend to look at what we don't have. We're thinking about something in a wrong manner. And this psalm turns our attention so that every one of God's redeemed people can with uncertainty or with certainty and and no doubts whatsoever know that they have a tremendous amount of benefit that has been given to them. You'll notice throughout this psalm to those that fear him, to those that fear. And if you are a God-fearer, and you are living as one of God's child, then your hands are so full that your cup runneth over if you but stop and remember what God truly has benefited and graced you with. So when you have a difficult time summoning up God's praise, here's an application. You do well in those times as well as just take some other times in your life as we have done even in this particular week. This would be a good application for us to consider. 
Take time and remember your sins. Well, I thought we weren't supposed to remember you. Oh, yeah, you are to remember your sins and the things that God does not remember about them. Augustine says, God benefits will not be in front of your eyes unless our sins are also in front of our eyes. Charles Simeon, the great Puritan, would say that he would not dismiss his sins so lightly, but he would think about them, and as he would then grow down deeper into this, he could then lift his way up and see all of the more splendor of the glory of God, who then says, I have forgiven them. But we are not to just get them out of our minds and dismiss them forever. No. In fact, we are to bring them back to recall. That's what he did. Remember specifically. That's what the psalmist was doing when he points out and he quotes from Exodus 34. I want you to remember that, people. And at the same time, I want you to remember what God has done. He has completely wiped those sins out and just scrubbed them away as though they didn't even exist. But you remember in the right way and for the right purpose. Matthew Henry says, when these things are not applied in this psalm, we come to have hard thoughts about God. It is important for you to know that God has not reacted to every one of your sins. In fact, it's important for you to realize that he has not chastened you. In fact, he has chastened you very little for your sins. And what a marvel it is that God has gone from one particular time of chasing, how much time goes by before he brings you to another chasing, how much opportunity for repentance and for shaping and training you in godly character by his fatherly, loving discipline. See? And so this is why he wants us to know that the way he shapes and chastens and all of this is like a father that pitieth his children. And so he forgives us and he's compassionate and all of the heinous, ugly sins of your life, he is just scrubbed out of the way as though they just never existed. Now, I want you to remember that, he says. And I want you to remember it specifically. So the psalmist calls us to specifically remember God's mercies. And in order to specifically remember God's mercies, you're going to have to specifically bring back up to your mind sins for which he was greatly merciful. So take some time to remember. Take some time to remember past sins for the right reason in order to ignite your heart in praise. This really does bring some perspective. Perhaps you can think about your sins chronologically from the time that you were born up to the time you are a teenager, 12, 13 years old. And you can remember some of those sins as a child how you have dishonored your parents and perhaps maybe how you've reacted and responded and, and lied and kept things secret and, and how you have just um, not done right. Maybe you can go back. And after that season, thank God for his mercies because you're here today. He has not rewarded you according to what you deserve. Oh, and then the next time 
you, the next phase. You, you, you take your teenage years. Oh, oh the, the, then the psalmist will surely come back to mind. Lord, do not remember the sins of my youth. Right? He's, he's thinking. He's remembering. When you're 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, 20, 21, 22... Take that time of your life and just remember from the time you're 13 to, say, 21, 22, some of those specific sins. And now we can all just just drop our heads. And we don't want anybody to know about those things in our life. We're so ashamed of those things. It hurts us to even bring those things back up. But then you look and you say, but God says, as far as the east is from the west, I just scrub those things out as though they haven't existed. I'm like a father that pities that you remember my mercies and remember my compassion upon you. I have benefited you. I have gifted you for things which you have not deserved. And your life is full of this. Now you remember I will bless the Lord with all my being. And then perhaps maybe go back and remember those specific sins from the time maybe 22 up to the present day and just remember how you've hurt people and how you've run over people and how you've been selfish and proud and how you've been so self-focused with your life and those times that you have specifically made sins or you've seen things that you weren't supposed to and you entertained things that you weren't supposed to and you thought things that you weren't supposed to and you, 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 you murdered people in your heart and in your minds and, and it just grieved you because of all of the problems and all of the anguish that it caused you and your family and your friends and the dissensions and the schisms and you remember those things that you have put under the blood of Jesus Christ and you remember his mercy and he says I have wiped those out I've scrubbed those two I have just scrubbed your whole life with the blood of my son Jesus Christ and I have forgiven you completely entirely as far as the east is from the west and the twin shall never meet I have just removed your transgressions from you I remember them no more. You're remembering them in order to ignite that praise, to bless God for the benefits specifically given to you, for the specific mercies that he has shown to you, and then you will realize that you are not poor. You will not look at your hands ever again and say, I am depressed because of what I do not have. Now you'll forget it. And that's why the psalm is there to say, remember soul, remember soul. Oh yes, this is so good. Remember people. Oh yes, yes. Remember angels where this is all going. Be specific. Get specific with your sins before God. And after each one of those sessions, just think about how God just scrubbed it out like it never happened. And you're going to be amazed, amazed at how gracious and merciful God has been towards you. And how he has really benefited you. And you're here this morning because God has invited you to bring him glory so that you might be satisfied, that you might enjoy Him, and that He might be satisfied and glorified in hearing your praise and knowing that is your greatest fulfillment of life. 
Well, how can God listen to my praise when I just remember? Because He remembers them no more. Because His Son died for your sins. Because He rose and He has given you the invitation to come. And He's cloaked you in the royal garment of His Son. And He's fitted you for this occasion. He's invited you to His table. And He does not remember your sins anymore. Yes, amen. And let all God's people say, amen. So no matter what your circumstance or your situation or how you feel or what you're going through, it always comes down to the final word to praise him, to praise him. Just like the book closes in every one of those books with a final Word of praise and a summoning for God's people to praise. And like the Psalter itself closes with five whole books given to that end, the final word of our lives will always be praise. And that is what will glorify God and truly satisfy our souls to long and to feel this praise genuinely as we give Him glory with our lips. Our gracious Father, Merciful God and Heavenly Redeemer, how thankful, thankful we are for your many mercies. We are truly full that our cup runs over of all of those benefits that you have graced us with and gifted us with time after time after time again. And we will bless you with our whole being and with our whole heart and with everything that we have. And we will call your people to bless you. We will call all of creation to bless you. We will call the angels to bless you. Because you alone are worthy of this. You alone are worthy. As we come to your table, we are mindful that this too is a gift that you have graced us with. And we will come with thanksgiving. We will come this morning not harboring any bitterness or anger toward our neighbor, nor with any envy of anything that you have blessed anybody else with. We will come not looking at the things you have given others. We will come looking at the fullness of our cup in what you have filled us with. And our hearts will ignite with praise. Thankful to you for not rewarding us for what we deserve, but for giving us not only salvation, but have elevated us up to sit with Christ in the heavenlies and to be princes and to reign with him in the royal court of our God, where we now are invited to your table. So, Lord... Take this message and with your spirit, quicken it to our souls for the rest of our life here on earth so that we would 
praise you in a manner worthy, genuine, sincere, heartfelt, all-encompassing of our whole being praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.